You'll have a seat if you would. This morning, we'll be there in a few minutes. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4. If, uh, if for some reason you did not bring a Bible, we have sporadically placed Bibles underneath the chairs just to, um, just to let you read along with us so you know where we're coming from and know what we're teaching and why we're teaching it and all of those things. Can't we celebrate because Jesus paid it all? I mean, is there power in that or what? That we stand in victory and not in defeat. Well, before we jump into our text, like I said, we'll be there in a few minutes. It's going to be kind of like last week, last week's talk. I kind of gave you a, a, some background information. And, and then at the end was the real direct application and this week's talk is a little bit different than last week in that, that last week I've kind of mentioned like personal ways that you can help other people belong. And really my goal today is for you to, uh, to maybe be thinking about how we can help folks belong as a church. Of course you do have a, a part to play in that. Um, many of you serve, many of you give, all of those things. And in doing that, you absolutely help in that regard. But, but this morning is a little bit more uh, as far as corporate, uh, like what we can do to help people belong where last week was more personal. Um, I'm going to start with the definition. Definition of hospitality. And it says this. It's friendly and generous behavior towards visitors and guests Intended to make them feel welcome. Hmm. Friendly and generous behavior towards visitors and guests intended to make them feel welcome. See, I feel compelled to, to teach this this morning because I've really been kind of doing like a little personal study in this regard and, and, and kind of the idea of what is Christian hospitality? What is Christian hospitality? Now, this isn't just about hospitality and this isn't just about opening your home up for meals of which your pastor likes to eat, so invite me over and make your best. Uh, I'm sorry, I had to throw that in there. But it isn't just about that. I think this idea is much more compelling than us opening up a home. I really do. And by definition, it says, friendly and generous behavior towards visitors and guests intended to make them feel welcome. Well, if you think about the word hospitality, the, where that word is derived from is the same word for hospital. And I think to myself, now bridging the gap a little bit, the idea of being in a hospital. I, because of the nature of what I do, I get to go into a bunch of different hospitals. And every hospital is supposed to do one thing and do it really, really well. They are supposed to help people that are sick to get better. Some of them do it better than others, and we would all agree, right? I've been, I've been in military hospitals, which you, you know, it wasn't during a time of combat, but you would swear that it was, you know? It just... I've been in labor and delivery wards where you think that, 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 that the person who was in charge literally had to have been like a, a battalion commander for the, you know, whatever, the 7th seventh, the seventh Army Fleet or however you want to call that. But, I, you know, I, I think some of them do it better, but the idea is still the same. A hospital is supposed to be a place where broken people get better. Then I stop and think about this. And I stop and think, isn't the church supposed to do the same thing? 
I mean, some of us, we come in here incredibly broken. I don't care if you stand on this stage or if you sit in the seats that you're, that you're sitting in this morning. Many of us, we come in these doors and we are broken. We're broken, aren't we? But yet, sometimes for us, it, it, it may seem like broken in a, in a... It may seem like an insignificant area to others, but to us, it weighs heavy on us, doesn't it? We come in broken. And I think to myself, in that regard, that the local church is supposed to be a place where sick people can be better. Well, we would believe, it, because we are a church, that, that there's really only one way to get better, and that is through a growing and, and through a, entering into a growing and thriving relationship with Jesus. That's what we would say, wouldn't we, church? We would say that as a church, and that's what we're supposed to do. And one of the things that's so compelling to me is I, I, I study this out a little deeper is... One thing that the church has always done is they have allowed people, though they are broken, to never be forgotten. They've allowed people who were broken to know, okay, yeah, you're broken, but you know what? We're not going to forget about you. We, we, know that we know the answer to what ills you. That you're broken and you're not forgotten. There's scriptures... A couple of scriptures I want to share before we get into our main text. It's Romans 12, 13. This will be on the screen. And the scripture says, share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Share with God's people who are in need. This is talking about insiders, is it not? Share with God's people who are in need to practice hospitality. There's another scripture. This one's 1 Peter 4, 9. It also is on the screen. It says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Ugh, without grumbling. To offer hospitality. This is, these are church leaders. Paul wrote the, the first scripture from Romans. He's saying, you know what? You need to offer hospitality to people. You need to offer of yourself. You need to offer hospitality. And I'll talk about what that means more in a minute beyond the definition. But then in 1 Peter, another leader in the church, he says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, without complaining. Oh, I've got to provide a meal for such and such. They're sick again, you know. We don't do that as a church. I'm just, I'm just joking around, but we don't do that as a church. We're, we actually, I would say, we excel in that area. If you are sick, we have people on call and waiting. We are ready to bring you a bucket of chicken if you just get sick, all right? We are. We're that kind of church. People here, we, we love each other and we love to help and all of these things. But this idea of hospitality, now you see Paul talks about it, Peter talks about it, now there's, it's even more compelling than that. There's actually a requirement in Titus 1.8 and it actually, it's one of the requirements for an elder, a leader in the church, is he has to be one who is hospitable to other people. So this idea is so much more compelling and it's kind of gaining steam. I hope it is within your heart right now that this is not just like a new idea. This isn't just, well, the church, we need to make some coffee. We need to maybe serve some, if you want to have food or something and greet someone at the door. It's so much more compelling than that. Yes, practically, those are things that we do as a church and hopefully you had a warm welcome when you come in. We have a great team, hospitality team, and that they literally, they do that and that's kind of their world and they do it well. But the reality is it's so much deeper than that. The reason why it's so much deeper than that is because the emphasis that the scriptures put on it because it was never entitled to just be people inside the church's doors. 
This idea of hospitality was a measure of someone's home. When it talks about, when Titus 1.8, and he talks about being hospitable, and to think of things that are good, it's in the context of his life, not his ministry, his life. That he needs to be hospitable to other people. And that's a qualification for leadership in the church. To show its importance. The idea of Christian hospitality, I have to say, it's not a convenience, it's not convenience-based, it's gospel-based. Now, hospitality in and of itself, just hospitality, without the Christian name in front of it, hospitality is, I will help you if it's convenient for me. I will help you if it's convenient for me. Christian hospitality is so much deeper than that. Because it's not a measure of, well, it's convenient for me, so I'm going to help you now. It's a matter of, okay, for the sake of the gospel, I'm going to help you now. You are in need. I want to open up my home to you. I want to open up my life to you. I want you to know that the doors of my church are open to you. I'm, I'm extending myself. Though it may not be convenient, I had plans earlier, but I am setting my plans aside because I know that what I'm supposed to do for the measure of the gospel, the gospel, that this is compelling to me that now I need to open up my heart, I need to open up my home, and I need to open up my life to other people. It doesn't matter what your personality is. It doesn't necessarily matter what your giftedness is. Hospitality is not a measure, it's not a measure of, of how well that you make grandma's baked apple pie recipe. It's really not. Although we should have a competition in here, and I will be the first judge. But it's not that. It's, it's deeper than that. It's not a matter of convenience. It's not a matter of gift. It's a matter of opening up, uh, uh, opening up your life. Church, churches, even in the early church, because the early church was being so persecuted, I think that's the reason why we, we have several scriptures and this idea of scriptures actually mentioned in the Old Testament and New Testament of hospitality and opening up your home and helping people belong. I think one of the reasons why it was so compelling is because the early church was so burdened that the people who governed the lands that the early church was birthed into was very hostile toward Christianity. It was very hostile so when the leaders would come in and they did not like Christianity and they wanted, they wanted to rid Christianity of the land, they would uproot families and they would send families away and I would say, you know what, I don't care where you go, but you are not going to be talking about this Jesus thing, this resurrection thing here. So he would, they, the, the leadership, the Roman rulers, they would try and cast these people out of town and say, you know what, get away from here. Here's where the idea of hospitality becomes a really big deal. Now you have early Christians being sent out into foreign lands that they've never gone to. The only thing that they go with is the, their family and the gospel. And they were so dependent on other people to open up, listen to me, to open up their homes as an extension of the gospel to allow people to come into this is such a foreign idea where we live because we all go home and we shut the door behind us and we open the door when we go out and do chores or take out the trash and we close the door behind us and then we get up the next morning and we go to work and then we come home and we do the same thing. The early church, they depended on other people. 
They said, you know what, I don't have anything except what I could carry on my back, and I, I, all I have is my family, but I have been so radically changed by the gospel that's centered on the resurrection of Jesus that I know that wherever I go, I bring the gospel with me. And Christian hospitality is it's not a matter of convenience, because many times it won't be convenient because we're all busy people, aren't we? It's not convenience-based, it's gospel-based. In the early church, they were so dependent because they were being persecuted so much. They were being pushed away and pushed away and pushed away, and they were social outcasts themselves. So they relied on other Christians who would, who would envelop them and take them into their home and love on them and provide meals for them. And then those homes, in essence, what those homes became was little incubators for the gospel. So now we have these homes that people are growing in the gospel and they're growing in, in, in the teachings that were being passed around and they're growing in this, this radical idea, the, the things that Jesus taught and the resurrection and they're being so changed by it. So now what, what was meant for bad in the early church was being persecuted. Now people were being dispersed to all different lands, all different countries and the thing they brought with them was the gospel. So then every home that they had gone into now... The gospel is starting to flourish. Do you see how this grows? And now you have the gospel flourishing here. And now you have the gospel flourishing here. So now it's not just one center, one central location where the gospel is out of. Now it's everywhere. It's like a, like a cell phone, like pinging off all the towers. And now the gospel is connecting all over the place. And what the early church endured through persecution it required that people would open up their homes. It required that they would. But they did it really, really well. As a matter of fact, there is, I have a, a quote I want to share with you. This is from a gentleman by the name of Julian the Apostate. This is mid-300s mid is the, is the time frame. And he was a pagan Roman ruler. He did not like Christians, and you'll see why as I read this. These are his words. And he's talking about, he uses the word Galileans and really that it, they were being referred to as the land where they came out of originally. So this is, these are Christians and this is what he says about Christians. He says, these disrespectful, disrespectful Galileans not only feed their own poor, but ours also, welcoming them into their agape. They attract them as children are attracted with cakes. While the pagan priests neglect the poor, the hated Galileans devote themselves to works of charity. And by a display of false compassion, have established and given effect to their harmful errors. He says, see their love feasts and their tables spread for the, the indigent. That basically means downtrodden and broken. He says, such practice is common among them and causes a contempt for our gods. Well, I bet it would. So he is, he is far from God. And as a matter of fact, he would open up, this gentleman, open up different places of worship, but he was open to all kinds of worship with the exception of Christianity. But the Christians, because they, they had opened their life up and they were hospitable to people, they were, they were challenging his whole, his whole, basically, cause to rid them, or to rid his area of them, rather. And it says, these disrespectful Galileans, they not only feed their poor, but ours also. 
You see, in this day, they were, they were outcast. The people who were poor and downtrodden people, the, the own, their own Roman people didn't care about them. So what the Christians did was they said, you know what? Now I'm going to step up to the plate. This is what I'm supposed to do. Because Christian hospitality is not a matter of convenience. Trust me, when you, when you go in to help other people and you stake the claim and stake the name of Jesus in your cause, you will undergo persecution yourself. But these people open up their homes and they said, you know what? There is something to be done here. There's a, there's a group of people in need here. Now, I need to open up my home. I need to be hospitable to these people. I know they're far from God. But for the gospel's sake, I've got to do it. Then it says, they attract them as children are attracted with cakes. I love this. I love this part because that's what Christian love does. Because the world that we live in is not that loving. And when, when, the Christian, or excuse me, when the world around us sees real agape Christian love, it is compelling as it was to him. And he says they attract him. His children are attracted with cakes. I'm attracted with cake too. Whilst the pagan priests neglect the poor, the hated Galileans devote themselves to works of charity by display of, he says, false compassion have established and given effect to their harmful heirs. It wasn't false compassion. They were mo- so moved by the gospel, he just didn't get it. And he says, see their love feast and their table spread for the indigent. Such practice is common among them and causes a contempt for our gods. See these love feasts, they were very confused of the agape. The, that word agape also means love feast. And they, they were misinterpreting the Lord's Supper. So when people would get together, and one thing that they did as the early church, we mentioned this last week, and we'll be talking about that again here in the next couple of weeks. One of the things that the early church did was they met regularly, and they took the Lord's Supper regularly. So the, there was this love feast, this, this thing about Jesus that this ruler, that Julian Apostle, did not understand. So he said, I, I don't know what it is about their love feast But he says, and and their tables are spread. They're spread for the downtrodden and broken. We've opened up our tables to these people. They've opened up their homes to them. What what can we do about this? There's this undercurrent of movement that's really undermining what I'm trying to do here, Julian says. And he says, it's just, this love is so attracting. It's just like children going to cake. Because in this setting... Christian homes had become hospitals for the broken. Christian homes have become hospitals for the broken. I, I, I'm just going to throw this question in there. When is the last time that you really invited someone who, who doesn't claim to be a Christian into your home? When's the last time? When is the last time that you, that you knowingly invited someone who doesn't walk with Christ into your home? I bet if, if we were to show of hands, which I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to embarrass you like that, but I bet if we did, I bet it would be ridiculous the amount of people who have actually done that. And shame on us. But the Christian home has become hospitals for these people. It actually, it was so, so amazing to me as I studied this out. During the, the period of history of the early church, the, the plagues were going through. It was... It, 
basically was a big problem for centuries. But if the plague would go through, and what the Romans would do is that anyone who had the plague, they would just deem them as social outcasts and throw them in the outskirts of town. They had to live in their own communities. We don't want you near us because if you're near us and you have the plague, then we're going to have the plague. And then they're going to do the same thing to me that I'm doing to you. Get it? So what they would do is they would send these social outcasts out of town and leave them to rot and die. The problem with that is when the people were social out, one of the, the things about the plague is the plague in their day, it would have the same symptoms as the common cold. So there were people who were social outcasts because they were so freaked out that they may get sick themselves that they would cast them out of the city. Well, here the Christians go again. The Christians then, they said, well, we have social outcasts. We're kind of social outcasts. So he says, I'm going to go join these people and I'm going to offer care to these people. I know they're pagans. I know they're far from God. But because of the gospel, I'm going to go and love on these people. And the amazing thing was, some of them died. Some of the Christians got the plague themselves and died and they offered care until they died. They did that. It's, it's heroic. It's wonderful. But several of those people only had a common cold. So now, think how amazing this is. Now, for the sake of the gospel, they went into a dangerous situation. Christians did. They stepped up to the plate in a place of need. And after they had stepped up, now you have people who only had the common cold, but they've watched others die. And what they have experienced is the authenticity of real Christian love and hospitality. It wasn't convenient, folks. It wasn't a matter of convenience. Because anytime you put yourself in harm's way, it is not convenient, is it? But for the sake of the gospel and getting the message out about Jesus, they were so moved to help. And then people, because people just had the common cold, after the, the cold would leave, right? It always does. We take a couple of vitamin C a few days later. What are we? We're better, right? Well, these people were better, but then they saw how the Christians were loving on, on the, the pagans, not even their own type of people. And they were so moved by that that they wanted to know more about being Christians. And then the gospel spreads. And then now the movement spreads. And then now what man meant for bad, God brought for good. Powerful, isn't it? There was another gentleman by the name of Justin Martyr. If you studied church history, the name would be familiar to you. He said this. He said, hospitality marks the gospel as authentic. That, it, that hospitality marks the gospel as authentic, like it's real. It's authentic to your life when the measure of our hospitality changes. But then he continues, and he says that hospitality is a central witness to the truth of the gospel. That's a big deal. That hospitality is a central witness to the truth of the gospel. Because once you receive Jesus Christ, you are changed. Once you receive Christ, you are changed. So then the level of which you live and love changes also. So that's why Justin Martyr says that the gospel is authentic when it's authenticated in our lives. But then also, he says, and by being hospitable, this idea of Christian hospitality, he says, it is the central witness to the truth of the gospel. It's 
powerful. I mentioned earlier that this idea of hospitality is mentioned in Old and New Testament. And to show you a balance of the idea, I want to take the, the concept, and we're going to draw out the concept of hospitality out of this section that we're going to read this morning. 2 Kings 4, verse 8 through 17. Verse 8 says, One day Elisha went to Shunem. A well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. Sounds convenient. She said to her husband, I know that this man, I know that, that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and he lay down there. He sent for his servant Gehazi. He says, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her that you have gone to all this trouble. Tell her you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can we do for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. In other words, she says, you know what? I'm happy with what I have. Elisha says, well, what can, what can be done for her? Gehazi says, well, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and, and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you, hold a son, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Don't mislead your servant, O man of God. She says, you know what? Don't give, me, don't give me these empty promises. Don't promise something you can't deliver. But there's a transition. Transition of time happens here in between verse 16 and 17. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about that time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elijah had told her. Hmm. Verse 8, jumping back, will draw out the, the truths for us this morning. It says, One day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal, so whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. Something I, I want us to see this morning is, for us, we have to see the need. We have to see the need for people to belong. Thinking beyond our, our individual selves, thinking more corporate as far as the church, we have to see the need for people to belong. We have to see it. She saw the need. When he was walking by, she had noticed that he was walking by, right? He was walking by and she saw the need. She urged him to stay for a meal, so whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She saw the need. She's like, you know what? There's somebody that's around. He's a man of God. It only seems right that I would open up my home to this person. He, I see the need. For you and I, we have to see the need for people to belong. I, I want you to, to kind of be challenged with this idea of seeing the need for people to belong because you and I, we walk by people every single day and we are oblivious to the condition that they're in. We're oblivious to the condition that they're in. We all, we all have this idea that we are living the American dream, but just as, as I had a conversation with Jared this, 
this past week, we're not living the American dream, we're living the American nightmare. Because the very things that, that we love, we have coveted. And not only we coveted those things, now we depend on those things. And the very blessings of God that He's given us, now we so rely on those blessings of God, but yet we don't rely on the source. We don't rely on the source. So we have to see the need for people to belong. There's a quote from R. Weber. It says, People come to faith not because they see the logic of the argument. Not because they see the logic of the argument. I completely agree with this quote. It says, But because they have experienced a welcoming God in a hospitable and loving community. That's talking about us. That's talking about us. It's not because they see the logic in an argument, because the reality is this, many people go to college and they get told lies about who God is, who Jesus is, the idea of Christianity, and they downplay Christianity and they uplift other, other religious groups because they don't want to basically conform to Christianity. They don't want to be changed by the gospel. So a logic of, of an argument may work in academic settings, but let me tell you, it's not going to work in this one. We have to see the need for people to belong. We have to see the need, and then we need to respond by creating loving and genuine community. Loving and genuine community. We all know people that are in need. Stop for a moment. We all know people that are in, we all know people that are in need. We all know people that are hurting. Don't we? We all know people that are either hurting financially, whether they're hurting spiritually, whether they're hurting relationally. We all know people that are maybe even physically. We all know people that are hurting. And the local church is a place for people to belong no matter what their hurt is, no matter how long they've been hurting with it, no, no matter what ails them, if it's something of their own doing or if something of someone else's doing, the local church has to be the beacon of hope that people can feel like they belong. But it starts with us seeing a need for them to belong. But it goes beyond that. Verse 10 says, this is... This is the lady, the rich lady. She says, let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. I just want to stop for a second. Why is it the lady who always has the idea for improvements of your home? Okay? I don't know why that is. Um, some, of the, some of the absolute worst things that, that you can say to a husband is, you know what, honey, I have an idea about the house. And we're like, you know what, it's a bad idea. Don't even say it. It's a bad idea because it's going to require work and or money, neither of which I want to part with right now. I don't know why. It always starts with the lady. I had to pick on you for a minute because the guys know it's true. So she goes through in verse 10 and she says, let's make a small, small room on the roof. So not only do we have to see the need for people to belong, many churches see the need for people to belong and they stop right there. They say, man, people are hurting. People are hurting. Woo, we got our doors open. We, we, we got our doors open. That's what we need to do. People are hurting. We need to open up our doors to them. The second part of that and the thing that, that this wealthy woman brings into the equation is now not only did she see the need but she also made plans to help to help Elisha belong and for you and I this morning we have to make plans to help people belong 
Here's how this works strategically within the church. This is thinking some new things about 2012 you don't know about, you're going to have questions about, they'll be answered later. Well, you can talk to me later. Maybe if you come at 6 o'clock during the congregational meeting, some of those will be answered. But chances are you're going to have questions beyond that, and that's okay. And we can talk about those in the weeks to come. Certain things that we, that we as a church feel compelled, the leadership in the church, the ministry team at the church feels compelled about is, okay, we see the need in the community to help people belong. That is great and that's wonderful. Let's put some things in place. Let's put a a strategy, a plan in place to actually make that a reality. If you were to, if you had an idea and you said, you know what, I want to lose weight, what would you do? You would make a plan to do so. You would either start working out or you would start reducing your food or your wife would start reducing your food to, tr- you know, to try and help you in that process. And, all, and you'd have some probably interesting discussions about that later. But if you wanted to maybe go on vacation, then you would do what? You would make plans to save some money to go on vacation. It only makes sense that as a church, we would kind of carry the same idea and make plans to help people belong. And by, for example of this, uh, I'll just throw out a couple things. You don't even know this yet, but DBC Kids, our children's ministry here, we are revamping the children's ministry as we speak. If you go in there, there is fresh paint on the walls, there is tape on the walls, and we had people in here working this weekend, working very hard. Because we're trying to help not only adults feel like they belong, but we want children to walk around that corner, the the, the corner to the right of the foyer, and to walk in there and say, wow, I belong here. That it isn't just about adults and creating this worship environment. It's about having children have a sense of belonging. So we've incorporated this, uh, over this past year, we've incorporated a certain curriculum. So they would be learning, they would have a, a, a course of spiritual development by the time that they would leave DVC Kids. Nothing good happens by accident. Nothing good happens by accident. So we have, we have challenged that, and they have fresh paint on the walls. We want to create environments for DBC kids. We've done the same thing for the students. I, I implore you, go look at the student room. If, if it has been three months since you've looked at the student room, it looks vastly different. It's because Jared and his team have poured into that room to try and create an environment to help students feel like they belong. Carrying that a little bit deeper, we... Um, we have kind of just started this idea of the hospitality team. If you have been a greeter in the past, that terminology is changing. I had a chance to meet with Bo Preston this week. She's going to be the hospitality team leader. We've talked about it a few other times. She's doing a wonderful job bringing out great insight. We want to create an environment where everyone feels like they belong. It takes a plan. It takes a plan to do so. She's invited. She has been invited into that and and many of you, if you've greeted and done those kinds of things, you're going to be invited into that mix. Some other things. Some, this is a, a kind of a new concept for us. We kind of have what I'm calling strategic service teams, which we believe that this church, that, that every local church, should serve its community. So we have teams that are basically spearheading and going and serving in the community. We have an opportunity for that in, here in a few weeks during the parade that I'll be asking you starting next week, just so you know. Come next week. I'll go to your house. I have your address, okay? Uh, don't, don't think you're going to skip out next week because I may ask you something. But to, for people at the, the day of the parade to hand out water, 
that we would strategically serve other people. People who have probably never crossed the threshold of this church, but we want them to know that we love them and that they exist, and if they're hurting, that we have created an environment where they can be well again. So we have those types of things. A little bit later this year, we're going to be kind of unleashing uh, the Financial Peace University. It's a ministry that was started by Dave Ramsey, if you're familiar with that. And this ministry is to help people shore up their finances. It's, it is all scripturally based, and it is incredible material. I've looked over the material. It, it, is, it is great material, and I'm starting to put those practices into my personal and financial life right now. But we'll be unleashing that something later this year. We have... Kind of tentatively, we're, we're kind of planning a marriage event, which just be for married couples and that kind of thing, kind of create an environment to help people feel like they belong and try and give them tools to succeed. And our small groups do the same thing. April 22nd, there's a, another new, I've said new so many times today, that there's something else that's new. On April 22nd, we're going to have an environment called Starting Point. If you are, are newer to the church over the last six months or a year, you are going to be invited to this environment so you learn about us. Creating environments because we want you to feel like you belong here with us. And to be a part of us. And then verse, getting it back into our scripture. In the section from verse 11 to 17. We know that Elijah had, had asked, he says, well, what can we do for this, this Shunammite woman? What can we do? So they recognized a need. They said, you know what? Her husband's old, which means he's not going to be able to have a child. So Elijah says, at the end of that text in verse 17, he says, but the woman became pregnant. Or he didn't say this, but this is what happened because of what he had said to her. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elijah had told her. Not only do we, should we see the need, and many of us do this, but I want you to think about, okay, we're doing these things as a church. Make a plan to help people feel like they belong. I want you to do the same thing with your home. Because every Christian home should be an incubator for the gospel. It should be open for growth, not just people within your home, but also people that you would bring into your home, whether it's a small group environment, a Bible study environment, or just dinner with a friend. But then the third thing that we see in really is the most important because we see the need. We can make our plans. We should expect God to do the miraculous. We should expect God to do the miraculous. God did an amazing work with the early church. When the people, they just saw the need. They said, you know what? There's these pagan. They're far from God and they're sick. I want to open my home up so that maybe I can help them be well again. They would share the gospel. They made a plan to do so. And now as the, the early church was being shifted around, they brought the gospel with them. You bring the gospel with you every single place that you go. And anywhere that you bring the gospel, you should expect God to do something with it. Elijah, when he's ministering to the Shunammite woman, he says, you know what? You, you, should, you can expect God to do the miraculous in your life. 
You should expect God to do the miraculous in our life. I think many of us this morning, we don't expect God to do anything miraculous. We think we're, we're broken down, we're no good, we're old, we're out of our prime, like been there, done that, I'm just tired, I'm tired all the time. And we've stopped expecting God to do the miraculous in us and through us. And I'll be honest with you, I want to rid my life of that false claim. Because I expect God to do a work not only in, in my life, but in the life of my family. And I expect Him to do a work in the life of this church. Not that we just see a need, but that we make plans to meet the need, and that we expect God, because we've been obedient, we expect God to do something that only He can do. And that's what I await. I don't, want, I don't want us to be a church that at the end of the day, that as God does a movement here, right, because we learned about that last week, that this church is not an institution it's just not brick and mortar. It's a movement of people bent on Jesus and they're just so changed by the gospel. I don't want us to be a group that just exists for ourselves. I want us to expect God to do the miraculous. And if you don't believe God can do the miraculous, you need to stop believing the lie. Because He's still in the miracle business, He still works in people's hearts. He, he still moves in people's hearts today. When people are faithful and obedient and the Christians of this day, our day, step up to the plate, God says, thank you for your obedience. Now I'm going to go above and beyond what you even thought I could do. But it starts with us. It starts with us. I've written down some questions that I, I want us to kind of embrace. Soak these in. Who are, the, who are the invisible people in our community? Who are the invisible people in our community? The people that everybody else walks by. The social outcast that everybody else casts aside. The people who don't fit in. Who are the invisible people in our community today? Who are they? Who is it? Maybe the, the person that you were thinking of earlier, whenever, whenever I'd ask you to think about somebody who's hurting, who is it in your life who needs to have a place of belonging? Who is that? Who is that person? Along with that, who needs to know that they are precious to God and to God's people? Who is that? Who are the social outcasts? Because I believe in the church, just like the early church was, was so powerful in the movement of what they did, but I believe there's still power in the local church as long as we promote and as long as we celebrate Jesus every chance we can. So not only who needs to know that they're precious to God and to God's people, but I'm going to kind of say it a different way. Whose absence is keeping my community, and me from being whole? Whose, whose absence is keeping my community, our community, and me from being whole? Because I think there are people who are not even, who have not even crossed the threshold of these doors who are supposed to and who will eventually add value into each and every one of our lives. And if we... As God's local church, a beacon of hope in this community, 
as we embrace the challenge, the idea of Christian hospitality, it's not a matter of being, not a matter of convenience or not a matter of your gifts. It's not a matter of your weaknesses. And please don't use the excuse of your personality because it's the gospel, not us, that is so compelling. The early church was so moved by this gospel that Jesus had so radically changed people's hearts and because they were just they couldn't stop talking about this word the resurrection like because literally the things that are ha- that are happening are just in the months and in the years just after the resurrection and they're still so moved by it that they felt like that they they had to go tell everyone about it i want the same zeal and the same passion to be in our lives that hospitality for us wouldn't be a matter of our convenience but it's because we are so compelled by the gospel. Now I have to say, many of you do a wonderful job at this. And, and we do, like the scripture had talked about, we, we, we open up our doors and we're loving and we're, truthfully, this is the most loving church that I've ever been a part of. We have a loving group of people, don't we? And it's easy to love. It's, it's easy to love the people here. But I, I want you to be challenged with this idea is that we need to help other people feel like they belong here too. So that, that starts with you and I seeing the need, making a plan to meet the need, and expect God to do something and to just blow us away. When God gave me the birth, or when, when God birthed the vision for this church, it was with this in mind. And at the end of the day, the last thing I want to do is to, is to create a place where I can hang my hat and say, wow, Chad did this. Wow, the third pastor of Dublin Bible Church, he did this and a great movement happened. What I want at the end of the day is to sit back in light of the cross and say, wow, Jesus, you did this. And I was just faithful and just a little bit crazy enough to believe that you could do it. Remember that talk? Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful. We are so grateful that you've entrusted things to us. Lord, if, if we are Christians this morning, that you have already entrusted in us valuable truths. And Lord, just like we saw from the scripture from 1 Peter and then from Romans and then also the requirement of church leaders that we have to be hospitable to other people. That we need to open up our homes. That, that each Christian home is supposed to be a hospital for those that are hurting. And that we, God, I pray that you would just move in each and every one of our hearts so that we would be moved and more moved by the gospel every day. That we would grow in the knowledge of the gospel every day. Not that we can look at ourselves and say, wow, what did we do? But just so we can sit in awe of you. We just praise you, Lord Jesus, that you love us and that you care for us. And your scripture says that you will never forsake us. And we put all our trust and hope in that. In Christ's name we pray, amen.